So we'll begin at verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Um, at the back end of last year, that's 2022, we uh, saw the results of the census from 2021. Okay, so it's a year old, but we, we got the results of the census of 2021. They're here on the screen. I was particularly interested in the information that was garnered, that was gathered about people's religious belief and convictions. For the first time in 2021, Christianity, according to the census data, stopped being a majority Christian country. The number, the percentage of 20. 56 million people that took part in the survey for the first time ever since the surveys began, the census began, under 50% of people identified as followers of Jesus. They no longer identified as followers of Jesus. And there's some factors behind that. Um, we can look at the demographic of the people therein. We can notice that there is a traditionally held view and understanding of Christianity from the Church of England, Church of England et al. Uh, we can look at the fact that younger, less younger people than older people uh, follow Jesus according to the data that uh, was released. We can look at the information that between the decades from 2021 to 2011, a large proportion of the older generation would have died. 
and that would affect the data therein. We can look at the fact that baby boomers who lost their religion to quote REM, but in the 1960s, they no longer would raise their children with traditionally held Judeo-Christian views. They would raise their children with more secular understanding of the world. And interestingly as well, looking at the data as a whole, it's a fair conclusion to draw that it's now true to say that in the UK, more people than ever before identify as spiritual rather than religious. You can just make that conclusion. They uh, look for spiritual understanding and spiritual truths, but no longer in what may be termed a traditional way of doing so. Okay, So it's very, very interesting. You can go online, you can look at that information, and, and there are some conclusions you can draw. There are many others as well. And you can see how many people follow um, Obi-Wan Kenobi because they're followers of Star Wars as a religion. You can see how many people are followers of the mainline religions and so on. It's interesting. This passage from John chapter 1 verse 35 and following to the end, we're speeding up dramatically. We're going to finish chapter 1 today and into chapter 2 next week, God willing. But this uh, ending of chapter 1 shows what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not about uh, old-style religion or modern spirituality. Christianity is about a personal relationship with the king of the cosmos. God can dwell in our hearts through the Holy Spirit's applying the work of Jesus, dying on the cross, being raised on the third day, ascended and now seated and pleading on our behalf in the heavenly realm. That reality, that truth can be applied to our life and it changes everything. It's an encounter with a living person. And John invites us throughout the gospel to come and see. Come and see the evidence for this this person of Jesus, come and see the glory of God in the Son of God who relied on the Spirit of God as he dwelt on this earth 2,000 years ago. And I want to think about these three words, come and see, come and see. There's a drumbeat throughout the end of the chapter, chapter 1. Come and see is the heart of John the Baptist and it's the, it's the heart of Nathaniel, and of Philip rather, and, and it's the heart of John's gospel. Come and see who the person of Jesus is. Here we go. Come and, three, come and see in three ways. Rooted, uh, key into these titles, please. Come and see means you need to come and think. Come and see means come and think. Come and see means come and look at the evidence. Come and look at the evidence. Now, John gets this across in a couple of ways. Look at verse 25 that we looked at last week. Here we have John the Baptist, and he makes this massive declaration. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Then we see it again. There's a, Jesus has been introduced, verse 35 now. Look the Lamb of God into verse 36 as well. It's the same uh, way of communicating. It's the same truth statement about Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God, and we explored what that means last week. So John the Baptist has introduced these, uh, his disciples to this incredible person called Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God. And then a question comes, verse 37. They come and question Jesus. You've got to meet him. You've got to understand who he is. So they come to Jesus with a question, verse 37. There's this lovely response. What do you want? Verse 38. Well, if you really want to know who I am, you need to hang around me, says Jesus. If you want to understand who I am, come and see. Come and see if the claims of John the Baptist are really true. Come and see what I do. 
Come and see who I am. Come and see how I think and process people. Jesus does not say, drop down on your knees immediately and believe. He says, come and look at the evidence. It's very interesting. Come and get to know me. Come and watch me. Come and see how I live. Come and hear how I speak. Come and look at the evidence. Come and see who I am. Then you see the second time that you see this phrase, come and see down in verse 46. 46. And Philip comes to Nathanael. Philip goes to his friend and he says, paraphrasing verse 45, I found the Messiah. I found the Messiah. Literally verse 45 says, I found the one to whom Moses and the prophets and the law spoke about, who were speaking of in a kind of predictive text kind of way. And Nathanael comes back with this really intelligent question. It's valid, it's difficult. Everyone at that time thought that the Messiah would come out of Bethlehem. And he says, hang on, I've got a question for you. I thought he was going to come from Bethlehem, from the line of David. So is this the Messiah? Because he's from Galilee. And by the way, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So he's wrestling with him. How can the one you say is the one to whom the prophets speak, how is he the one? Can you fill in the blanks because I don't understand what you're talking about? And he says, come and see, come and see. Come and see, come and listen, come and learn, come and explore. Bring your questions to the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 46. And you may be here this morning online, you may be here checking us out, you may be here in person, and you say, well, I've got a bunch of questions too, but mine are different to those that uh, Philip and Nathaniel were wrestling with. Your question, we're all in the same boat, exploring who the person of Jesus claims to be, may be like this. Well, if Jesus is who he claims to be, then how come there's so much suffering in the world? That's a great question that you can wrestle with, with me this Wednesday at Hope Explored. There's a plug there. How do we know who Jesus is, who he claims to be? That's the question that Philip and Nathaniel are wrestling with. That's the question that the disciples have at the beginning of our passage. And Jesus says, come along and explore. Bring your questions. Look at the evidence. Well, the way to do that is the way that we did it 2,000 years ago. And it's the way that we can do it today. It's to look at the evidence. And, and it's spattered. It's smattered. It's woven. It's just. Uh, all the way through this chapter, John is there as the writer of this text, and he says, look at Jesus. Listen to him. Now, how do you do that? Look at the evidence, please, in front of us in these sentences. In the first chapter, we've had this word meaning witness five or six times. It's on the screen as we look at the evidence. Sometimes it's translated testify. John the Baptist came to testify. John the Baptist came and he came as a witness. And it's the word in Greek meaning martyr. It's the word that means you can go to court and your evidence is so secure that someone can interrogate you and they'll see that it stands up and that it's true. And so you have these verses, verse 7, 8, 15, 19, 32, where you see the word witness or testify. In other words, John is writing to say, I saw and I heard, I witnessed and therefore it is admissible in court. This is not made up. Come, come and see the evidence. I was actually there. I saw this. It's admissible in court. This is not an internal, subjectifiable, alone, spiritual experience. This is something that you can take to the bank. This is something that you can look around the corner and look underneath of and you can see if it holds weight and if it's true. 
And so John says, come and see. Come and look at the evidence. It's not an impression I had of Jesus. I was there. I heard him. I saw him. I saw the expression on his face. I'm seeing it and it's true. We were at the uh, British Museum yesterday morning, a superb morning with Ben Virgo. One of the things I learned that I never learned before is there is in the centre of the British Museum a circular reading room. All the great minds have been there. Ben Virgo told a true story about Karl Marx. Karl Marx said, I am the friend of the masses. I'm the friend of the workers. And yet Ben said, do you know, he came and he read in this room, but do you know how he treated the people whose plight he promoted? He took money from the rich who he said he despised, and he lived as a benefactor of their generosity. And he was given a slave girl who cooked food for him and cared for him. He treated her as if she did not exist. She didn't even pay her a way to live upon. And then to top it all, he had such a low view of her that he conceived a child with her. And when she gave birth to the child in her home, what did he say to the servant girl who was the mother of his child and to the child whose cries he could hear? He said, get that thing out of here. Karl Marx lived in a way that was wholly different from what he wrote. I'm a friend of the poor. I'm going to shout the cause of the underclass. And how did he treat those in his sphere of influence? He despised them. He treated them really poorly. Come and see Jesus. There is an authenticity about the person of Jesus that you will find in no one else. He lived what he said. He treated people as he claimed. And that's not all. Look at verse 39. This is an eyewitness account. It says, verse 39, they went and they saw where Jesus, he was staying. They spent the day with him until about the 10th hour. The 10th hour is four o'clock. Now, if you've looked up to old texts, they are very, very different to this. Modern fiction, take Harry Potter that got a shout out this morning. Take uh, someone like Richard Osmond, who my wife is reading his books very quickly right now. He writes in a way with lots of detail in it because he wants to say, I want you to get into the world. This murder mystery that I'm cultivating, you can immerse yourself into it and hear some places that you know and that you're heard of so you can imagine yourself there. But ancient texts were never written like that. Ancient texts were never written like that. There's a man called Reynolds Price. He's an English professor. He is American with a name like that. He wrote a book on the Gospels and he says there's a reliability in the Gospels because there is a truth to the eyewitness accounts that they were there and they build their accounts of the Gospels on uh, reliable sources. So when it says in verse 39, he stayed there until four o'clock, the reason you can tell that's an eyewitness account is because ancient texts never write in that way. Uh, modern novels do, but ancient texts do not take up any legend or myth. They never, ever used detail. Oedipus went to the oracle at Delphi, and she came out at 4 p.m. It would never say that, but modern texts do. In other words, Reynolds Price is saying, here is just another piece of evidence that you know John's gospel is true, not just because he spoke and saw what Jesus said, but because of the way it's written. And here's another example, verse 29. Sentence 35, sentence 43. The next day, the next day, the next day. It does not say once upon a time <laughs> in a land far, far away. This is not make-believe. This is a real place where Jesus walked and he taught. And Reynolds Price is saying, this is just another way of saying these are eyewitness accounts. 
In other words, come and see the person of Jesus. Don't just think that Christianity is about blind belief. Look at the evidence. See if it holds weight. See if it's true. Come and examine what's there. Because if you say it's all baloney, one of the things you have to contend with is just decades later, the people that wrote these texts were so convinced it was true, they were willing to die for what they wrote. Now, how is that true if it's made up? Are these are deliberate, malicious, but well-constructed lies, or you have to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He is the creator God who came to earth to save us. And there's nothing that is intellectually credible in between those two points. It's one or t'other. And John is saying, come and see. Here's the second point. Come and see means come and follow. Come and change your life if you know the person of Jesus. The word come means change. If you read the whole chapter, but if you look down at verse 29, you see it for the first time where John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But look at verse 35 where we see that again. He says it again and now they actually follow. Now they actually say, who is this guy? He said it twice, but the first time there was no action. There was just a statement that was made. But now there's the difference. You can know about Jesus. You can know truth, the Lamb of God. That's what Christians believe. But you don't believe it personally. and You don't know him intimately. That's one of the things we're being taught here. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it means understanding verse 51. I did not know, but I will buy it before the close of play. Adam Ramsey has written a book. I know it's going to be great because his last one was. And there's the, the phrase that he's taken as the title. Truly, truly, I say unto you. Look at verse 51 with me, right at the end of our passage. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Literally, he says, amen, amen. Old school, verily, verily. I love that. Verily, verily. It's an Aramaic word that says, you can take what I've said and test it. And if it's true, I want you to say it's true. But in an Aramaic way, you say it by saying this word, amen. So when there was a teacher in the synagogue you would listen to what they're saying, and if you thought what they're saying was true, the crowd would say, Amen. But no one in the Old Testament, no one in the New Testament would dare to use the word Amen the way that we find it in verse 51. In verse 51, it's not said at the end after the rabbi has finished speaking. It's said at the beginning. And it's not just said once, it's doubled up to say, you really can be without any doubt that what I say to you is true. Why? John chapter 1, verse 1, because the word of God is speaking. The creator and sustainer and maker of the universe is speaking. And when the king speaks, he speaks with authority, but because of who the king is, he speaks truthfully. So verse 51 Verily, verily, amen, amen, I tell you the truth, you shall see. And then there's a reference to an event in the Old Testament. Jesus starts with amen. He starts with amen, amen. Now, one of the things that does is it takes away our right to decide if what Jesus is saying is true or not. Jesus is saying, whether you like it or not, I always speak truthfully. 
Whether what you say is culturally uncomfortable or not, what I say is true. It's watertight. I'm a watertight person. I'm a truth-telling person. I never lie. I cannot because it's against my moral character. It's not in your skill set. It's not in your right. It's not in your capacity to just taste and see and pick out what you like from a potpourri or a, a pick and mix from the words of Jesus. He speaks truth because of that's who he is he defines what truth is and if you are to follow Jesus you cannot follow Jesus without a truth saturated understanding of his word the Bible you cannot say I follow Jesus but I don't like that bit you cannot say I follow Jesus but I'm uncomfortable with what he says on that topic if you say that you are not following the Jesus of the Bible you're following a Jesus of your own making And Jesus Christ says to his disciples, come and follow me. And as you follow me, you will follow me truthfully to the degree that you understand the beginning of verse 51. Verily, verily, amen, amen. What I say to you is true. Even if, even if people will say unkind things about you if you follow what I say. Even if secondary school gets really tough when you have to speak up and stand out for Jesus even if it costs you a promotion at work if you want to be a disciple investigate the evidence but to know me personally is to know that I'm a God who always speaks and only speaks truth whether you like it or not you cannot follow Jesus without an infallible Bible because the word of God is true Your friends may say, oh, it's primitive, it's outdated, things have changed, Jesus needs to get up to date. You don't say to the author of the cosmos, you need to get up to date. What Jesus says is timeless and it's true. (coughs) Don't think that you're following Jesus if you're following a Jesus of your own making. We must come under his authority. We must come under the authority of his word. And so that means a few things as we seek to follow Jesus. It means that we need to make Jesus our highest priority. Make me your number one, right at the top where you belong. If you follow Jesus, that means you leave your own understanding, you leave your own priorities, and you follow him no matter where it takes you, no matter what it costs you. Your other primary relationships will change. Your convictions And uh, the way you use your resources will undoubtedly change as well. Your thinking will be transformed. When you hear a call, it changes your center of gravity. Now, I looked this up because my science is not so good. But it's true that when you're in space, things work very, very differently. Here's a picture on the screen. Uh, If you can see it through Google on a good lens, it's really a brilliant photo because it shows an astronaut who's trying to drink. You know if you're thirsty, you go for a drink of water out of your beaker, sippy cup or mug. And as you're drinking, you know because of the rules of gravity that the water will go into your mouth, you hope. Unless you've been to the dentist and you've been numbed up, then it goes down your shirt. But if you're in space, things work differently because there's no center of gravity. And so the water that you try and pour in your mouth just floats off and then you have to kind of follow the bubble. It's also true that when you're in space, Wikipedia says this, so it's true. 
If you're trying to use an electric drill in space, it works very, very differently. Rather than the screw going in to the whatever it's going into, you go around the screw. <laughs> because the center of gravity is no longer applicable to you. Zero gravity means you turn rather than the screw. So this is a funny image to think about. Now, with a smile on your face, exactly the same is true in the spiritual realm. If you do not have a spiritual center of gravity on the person of Jesus, if you do not follow him so that all of your world priorities, motivations and thoughts uh, come around his person, then you'll be lost. It'll be like you're in space. Things will work very, very differently. Jesus says, here's the answer for life. Come and see, come and follow me, the maker of heaven and earth, the author of life, the sustainer of life. Come and see. I'm the alpha, I'm the omega, I'm the beginning and the end. It's another way of saying I'm over all things. I'm eternal. So you have Jesus and his word as your top priority. But also, and boy this is going to hurt, it also means absolute obedience. If Jesus is who he claims to be, it means absolute obedience. There is nothing he cannot ask of me or of you because of who he is. That's something we as modern people are really, really scared of. We find it offensive. We want to run away from it. We want to turn the dial down. We hate the idea, don't we, of personal obedience, of being under authority. Just look at any toddler. It's in the human heart. But Jesus commands and demands absolute obedience because it's a personal relationship with the king. You get to know someone, they can make no demands upon you. The more you get to know them, and the more intimately you get to know them, and if you love them, then because of the intimacy of the relationship, they have the right to make demands upon you and you upon them. This is the most intimate relationship you will ever know with your maker who loves you and who knows you, and no one else knows you the way he does. And you want to serve him completely, because you love him and you want to respond to him. Absolute obedience because of absolute authority and he is strong, but he's also kind. There's nothing he cannot ask of you. Do you have a spiritual center of gravity? Does everything you do in your life turn around this person? Or are you floundering? Are you all at sea? Because you still haven't found what you're looking for. Come and see means come and change your life. Listen to me, says Jesus. Verse 51, amen, amen. What I say to you is true, no matter what the topic. Here's the last one real quick. Come and see means come and wonder. These last few verses, verse 51 especially, give us an understanding of who Jesus is. He's not ordinary. He's extraordinary. He is unique. Why does he say come and see? There's a, an upward journey, verse 51, that's described. Verily, verily, amen, amen. Truly I say unto you, you will see heaven open and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now he is saying something here that is outstanding and astounding. He's referring to Genesis 28, where Jacob was put into a deep sleep. He fell asleep and he saw something of the glory of God. He had a stone for a pillow and he still managed to get to sleep. 
and he saw the glory of God and he saw angels ascending and descending on a ladder to the heavens. He had a dream and it went right into the heavenly realm, right into God's presence. And when the dream was over, he checked if he had too much port and cheese and he hadn't. It was a divine revelation that God had opened his heart and mind and he saw a true picture of a future reality. Jesus says, if you come and follow me, I want you to know something. Jesus says of himself, I am the link between heaven and earth. You will see heaven open. The angels of God will be ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Another title for Jesus. I'm the center of the world. I'm the center of spiritual reality and gravity. But through me, through me, Nathaniel, through me, Philip, through me, anyone who trusts in me, you can have access into the heavenly realm that without me is completely off limits because of your sin. You sure can't come in. But because of me and through me, there is a reality. The glorious presence of God, you can't just see it, but you can experience it. You can taste it. You can enjoy it. It will sustain you. It will fulfill you. There are realms of joy that you have yet to experience and realize. Come and see. And if you give yourself to me, just come and see. There is wonder. There is awe. There is joy. All related to the person of Jesus Christ. Look carefully at verse 51. There's something we need to attend to. It does not say angels are ascending and descending to the Son of Man. Jesus is up there, does it? It does not say angels are ascending and descending to the Son of Man. He doesn't say if you try really hard to climb this ladder, you can get into the presence of God. If you try really hard, you could build a city make a name for ourselves, like Genesis chapter 11, Babel. They wanted to build a ladder to God, but it does not say that. It says, he sees and says the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He doesn't say, I'll just set the ladder up. Try your best. See what you can do. Because later on in the same gospel, John chapter 14, John writes from the lips of Jesus, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And at the end of chapter 1, he's saying, I'm the ladder. God has sent the ladder. God has sent a new and living way to bring you to himself. I came all the way down. I lived the life you should have lived. I died the death you should have died. Trust in me. And if you do, you'll get in. Because there's no other way. Come and see. It means think. Come and see. It means follow Come and see, it means be amazed by his grace and the journey from heaven to earth so that we might, with Christ and in him alone, journey from earth to heaven to be with him eternally.